we want to do is rather than trick people into adopting behaviors that benefit the bank, we want to help people adopt behaviors that benefit them. So saving, spending, investing, um, as easy as paying for an Uber. And that is that is undoubtedly harder. It's going to take longer, but we think ultimately it's going to lead to a better quality customer base and a more sustainable business. The question then becomes, how do we do that? And we need to be unconventional. We need to be atypical. We need to conduct asynchronous marketing warfare against the big brand banks. And believe it or not, one of those unconventional approaches includes an in-house comedy sketch team. Hey there, welcome to the Neom Podcast with me, Tanya Bharadwaj. My guest on this episode is Ben Soppit, founder and CEO of Unify Money, a new bank for high-earning professionals that is on a mission to make saving and investing as easy as paying for an Uber. I'll start from really the beginning. And, you know, it's a question that came to mind after I read a post online, um, you know, that you authored, and it said, nobody needs another neobank, so why are we starting one? So I thought it would be a good idea to actually get that as my first question. Tell me what had you and your co-founder convinced, and what's the specific problem that you, you know, set out to solve? Absolutely, yeah. So one of the most frequent things that we heard from market commentators was um, that the neobank sector is completely saturated. Um, and it became um, you know, a, a, almost a ubiquitous piece of feedback that, that we heard from people. And mm-hmm. when we looked at the market, we just didn't see that. Um, so if you say something saturated, it sounds like you know, fintech has really reached its, um, its optimum. There's, there's no, there's no you know, it's done. It's, it's just a matter of um, scaling what's already there. But when you look at the market, it's very, very clearly not the case. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there, are, there, are, there are just under 5,000 FDIC member banks in the US. That's down from 11,000 only 10, 12 years ago. Um, and there are only about 90 challenger banks. Um, and if you look at those challenger banks and the, the, the well-known ones, the Chimes, the Varos, et cetera, really constitute about 95% of all the challenger banks. So these are, these are banks that have um, typically got a virtual uh, checking account, debit card, and an app, um, and right. more, more recently moved into uh, uh, payday lending, salary advance. And they're very much focused on the underbanked uh, or the unbanked. And that's, a, that's now a very competitive market for uh, challenger, the challenger bank space, for sure. But right. it completely ignores the fact that um, there are hundreds of millions of people in the US who are not underbanked or unbanked, but are very poorly served by the existing banking infrastructure. And mm-hmm. that's where we really saw the opportunity was to serve the needs of young, high-earning, professional millennials um, who are banking with the top 10 banks, the big brand banks, but being very poorly served by them. Um, and right. there's less than a handful of those fintech challenger uh, uh, brands in the market. Um, so we felt that was really the opportunity um, that was unmet and provided uh, the greatest ability or the greatest opportunity for us to serve um, an entirely new consumer segment um, through fintech. Okay. So let's dig a little deeper. You know, Unify Money is a full-service neo-banking solution uh, that caters to high earners, uh, you know, driven by the conviction 
that technology can really change the way money is managed. Uh, tell me a little bit about your offerings, your feature set, and how would you say um, that's different from a conventional bank? So if, if you look at the, the statistics in the market, um, a recent report by LendingTree and their Magnify Money uh, team found that over 95% of people keep most of their money in some form of cash deposit. Mm-hmm. Um, and less than, less than a third of millennials, even fewer below the age of 30, are actually invested in the stock market. Money left in any form of cash account is dead money. It's losing value. So there's not a single cash account of any form, high interest savings, CDs, checking, whatever it might be, that is actually paying greater than inflation. And in fact, most of them, the top 10 banks, typically uh, their checking rates are 0.01%. Their saving rates rates are a little better at 0.02% are paying a fraction of um, what inflation is eroding from that money every single day. So money kept in cash is money that's that's dead. It's not an asset. It's it's slowly over time losing value. And the stock market has demonstrated itself to be the greatest mass wealth creation engine ever in history. And yet the vast majority of millennials are not participating in that wealth creation. And, and it means that over their lifetime, if you look at all millennials and those who are not invested in the stock market, they, they are losing several trillion dollars over their lifetime in income and earnings that should be theirs, but instead are going to the, to the big banks. Now, the question is, why have the big banks not solved for this? And the answer right. lies in their economic, um, you know, where, 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 are, where are their economic uh, benefits best uh, served. So yeah. if you look at payments, for example, we know that the easier it is to pay for something, the more people do it. It's why Amazon is so successful. It's why Apple Pay is is increasingly successful. It's why um, the industry has really solved for friction and payments because their right. economic incentives are such that they want to encourage people to spend more. But saving mm-hmm. and investing has barely changed in decades. And the question is why? Well, when money is left in a, in, a, in a low or no interest checking or saving account, it's essentially an interest-free loan to the banks. The banks right. then go and invest that and can earn anything up to and beyond 24% on that money, which, mm-hmm. which is profitability that they keep. They don't hand that back to the consumer. So yeah. the economic incentives of the big banks are not to encourage people to save and invest because they lose money when that happens. Money sitting yeah. in an ETF for the next 40 years is money that the bank is not profiting from. So, you know, it starts with that fundamental principle that our belief and intent is to help people earn more from their money. And what we want to solve for is the manual labor, the friction in saving and investing. So we want to make saving and investing as easy, if not easier than paying for an Uber, for example. Yeah, well, that's interesting you bring that up because, you know, I think through the pandemic, uh, you did see you know, what's come to be called the gamification of investing, if you like. But I just wanted to spend a little more time talking about the whole new approach to managing money that you sort of touched upon. Uh, You know, to be perfectly honest, it's a little hard to imagine wealth management without human interaction, at least for me sitting here in India, because for a lot of us, money is a sort of emotional matter. Um, I'm interested to know how consumer behavior has evolved in your addressable market, uh, you know, which is the United States. Yeah, so we, you know, we've seen the explosion of online uh, commerce. It was already growing at a at a at an incredible rate, but COVID has really accelerated that. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen people um, 
interestingly, you know, if you look at Robin Hood's performance, um, any any um, you know the, the the amount of people who are actively trading um, is 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 increasing extraordinarily highly. Um, I think there's also something quite subtle happening, which is there's a change in how people are thinking about things like credit cards. So credit mm-hmm. cards haven't really evolved from how they were marketed in the 70s and the 80s. They were affluence signaling. They were lifestyle um, signals. And and you see this in the metal card phenomenon. Um, yeah. You see this in credit card advertising. You know, they promise you'll be more successful and better looking and have a more attractive uh, partner. Um they're really just tools, you know, they're just, they're just utilities. And the, you know, the, these high affluent cards, Chase Sapphire Reserve, the travel cards, their, their entire point has completely disappeared overnight with COVID. Um, and nobody sees your metal cards when you're shopping online. So yeah. um, I think we're, we're seeing, and you know, people are questioning why are they paying $550 for a metal Chase Sapphire rewards card, where those points are completely pointless you know they're valueless nobody's traveling the the double rewards on dining and double rewards on hotels it's 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 all meaningless when you're sitting at home and i think what we're seeing is is what we're going to see is a normalization of people's um perceptions around things like credit cards they need to become financial tools they are not jewelry or sports cards they shouldn't be there for affluent signaling they should be there to uh, to be a uh, an important component of your overall money management, saving, spending, and investing. So I, I you know, I think we're at the early stages. Um, we'll we'll know for sure in a few years. But but that's certainly what we see is that people have got more time. People are changing um, the way they think about money. Uh, I don't think anybody is taking uh, financial security for granted anymore. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of jobs have been lost. Uh, people who twelve months ago. We're working in very successful companies, which had um, an extremely uh, positive outlook ahead of them. And then this black swan event happened and everything changed. So the message about developing your financial resilience, even when you're a successful high earner in a great job, um, is is now, I think, um, much more of a priority for most people. Whereas 12 months ago, I think people were a little bit laissez-faire about it um, and assumed it could never happen to them. And if there's one good thing coming out of COVID, it's a, it's an entire generation of people have realized that bad things happen to good people. And managing your money in the good times is extremely important because at some point the bad times might come and being mm-hmm. financially resilient, having financial security is something that doesn't happen in a day, a week or a month. It happens over years and decades. And that takes a lot of effort and that effort is what we're looking to automate and and um, take out of the process. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so talk to me a little bit about what's the response been like, you know, so far. Um, we have a lot of, you know, first time entrepreneurs or fintech enthusiasts who listen to the show, and I think they, you know, they'd like to know about how you went about sort of validating your product market fit, and also what's the approach uh, that Unify Money is, you know, looking to take to scale. Yeah, um, great, great question. Um, if you if you look at what's been successful in the market amongst affluent consumers, um, investing has been probably the biggest, uh, most successful category uh, with Robinhood, Coinbase, uh, a whole slew of alternative investment apps, everything from wine mm-hmm. to you know fractional farm ownership. I mean, these these have all these have all uh, collectibles. You know, Rally Road. Uh, they've they've really um, I think captured people's imagination. 
and brought an, an entire new group of people into financial services uh, for the first time. Um, so we know that um, many of these components have been very, very successful in the market, but we also know that um, you, you know optimizing for one or other element of your financial life is is suboptimal. Um, your your money is a very holistic uh, ecosystem, and you need everything working together to be uh, getting your optimal returns. And that's really what we looked at. We looked at all of these individual solutions which were very successful in the market, but they were only partially solving the problem. Um, and that what they weren't solving for is this holistic um, simplicity that, that we know consumers crave, um, particularly in complex uh, markets like, like personal finance. So we really took the best of the market and we're, we're building on the shoulders of giants. You know, we, 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 we took the idea of passive investing from Acorns, commission-free trading from Robinhood, robo-advisory from Wealthfront, and we put it into mm -hmm. a, um, a holistic integrated platform. And we're solving for that simplicity, they're solving for that ease of use. Um, then the question becomes, you know, having a great differentiated product is, is, is necessary, but insufficient for success. People need to understand mm -hmm. it. People need to know how you're differentiated. Um, and we're taking the approach, which is quite different from the traditional financial right. services industry. If you look at how financial services company companies typically go to market, it's very much about tricking people into adopting behavior that benefits the bank. So it's the, the free toasters, the, the 10x points, the um, incentive offers, very, very focused on acquisition um, rather than the ongoing value to the customer. And what we want to do is rather than trick people into adopting behaviors that benefit the bank, we want to help people adopt behaviors that benefit them. So saving, spending, investing, um, as easy as paying for an Uber. And that is, that is undoubtedly harder. It's going to take longer, but we think ultimately it's going to lead to a better quality customer base and a more sustainable business. Um, the, mm -hmm. the question then becomes, how do we do that? And we, we know that we cannot compete with the big brand banks through conventional means. You know, Chase alone spends $2.6 billion on advertising every year. The top 10 banks spend $15 billion dollars. Um, but so you can't compete with that amount of money through conventional means. So we need to be unconventional. We need to be atypical. We need to conduct asynchronous marketing warfare against the big brand banks. Um, we also know that most people are not going to move their bank. It doesn't matter uh, how much evidence uh, or data you present to them. It's not a rational decision. So we know that we're talking to natural contrarians. Um, they're going to be our first 50, 100,000 customers, people who are independent of mind and spirit. So we, we have permission, if, if not the necessity, to take very unconventional uh, approaches to reaching our customer base, to talking about mm -hmm. them. You know, we, we, we're getting known to be the, uh, the only bank in the world with an in-house comedy sketch team, for example. Um, and we're using comedy as a way to engage with people, to sow the seeds of doubt about the way they're managing money and maybe there is a better different way so that we're creating context and we're creating the environment in which they'll be more open um, to our messages and our more rational messages. Um, do we have the answer? Absolutely not. Um, do we have uh, a defined approach where we're doing constant experiments, low cost experiments into understanding mm -hmm. um, what messages, what channels, what experiences are going to help the right type of people to become our customers? Um, yes, and that's you know that's that's the approach that we're that 
that we're pursuing. So it's very much more of a focus on quality than, than quantity. Um, and that gives us permission to do things differently, we feel, um, than, than the market as a whole. Right. Um, I want to just finish off on a personal note. Uh, you know, Ben, you are a first-time founder. Um, and I think a lot of our listeners would like to sort of hear about what motivated you to strike out on your own. Um, you know, when did you know that you sort of wanted to walk down that path? And uh, any learnings that you'd like to share with us that, you know, you've had along the way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's I I I guess I felt compelled um, mm -hmm. to to follow this path. It, it's not the easiest path by any means, um, but you know, I've worked in financial services in 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 Asia, um, in in Europe, and then in the U.S. And I, I I've launched a digital bank in Indonesia for the underbanked. Um, so I I I came. I came into the market um, looking at where I saw the biggest opportunities, and I and I and I felt that I was surprised that nobody was really focusing on on affluent young millennials, given that affluent young millennials have really led the digital adoption of every or the adoption of every major digital innovation in the last twenty years or so, um, and yet curiously, this group was being almost singularly ignored by uh, fintech challenger banks. And I felt there was a really compelling opportunity to bring a differentiated proposition to those consumers um, and, and make a difference. So it was, it, it was, it was a, a compulsion as much as anything else to, to do what I thought the market mm -hmm. needed and, and something that would serve consumers really well. Um, that nobody else seemed to be taking advantage of. Um, I've been, you know, it's been an amazing experience. I've, I've met some of the most interesting, uh, stimulating people of my entire career. I've been mm -hmm. amazed by the help that you can get in the in the founding, uh, the the community of fintech founders and, and beyond. Um, it's been it's been an, an amazing experience and. Uh, it's it's extraordinary the people you meet along the way. Um, some are temporary and some become you know core supporters and and um, and and join join the mission and the journey. Um, and it's 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 a very intensive experience. Uh, I mean, a thirty years in corporate life, and I'd say the last eighteen months or so have been the most stimulating, intensive work of my career. Um, uh -huh. And so, yeah, you know, it's hard for sure. There are a lot of ups and downs, as everyone knows. Um, yeah. Feeling those ups and downs and, and uh, putting your head down and, and, you know, just getting on with it is, I think, 90% of the battle. Okay, great. That's, that's an amazing finisher then. Thank you so much, Ben, for taking the time out and really, you know, sharing some of those hard-won insights. I think it's going to be very valuable for our listeners. And good luck with Unicry Money. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thank you. Thank you.